Um, it is a deep privilege and an honor to be standing in front of you all this morning, um, as Shane has said, um, that there is a long relationship between the elders of this church, between many of you and uh, myself and Grant. I love ministering with Grant. I've coined the term G&T when we minister together, but this morning it's just the tea, but it's all good. just want to have a sip of water if you guys don't mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just want to thank Shane and uh, Brendan and uh, that other guy, Grant, um, who's just jawling it up in America. What a joy. Life's tough, eh? And um, it, it really is a privilege to be here. And um, when Grant had asked me what I'd like to share on, um, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, and I thought, and I believe that God gave me a word. And um, it's something that I have been massaging into some of the guys at Rock who are here this morning. So cool to have you guys. And um, it's this thought or this uh, conviction that God has placed us where we are for a reason. That there is a reason that he's placed us where we are. I think sometimes we can go through life thinking, well, I'm here. I'm the one that made this decision. I'm here because I've made decision A, B, and C. And that's why I've led to where I am. And, um, and you might believe that this morning. And that's okay. I'm not, uh, I'm not here to argue that. But I truly believe, and we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture that point us to the fact that actually Jesus is the one that guides us. He is the one that directs our paths. He is the one that has placed each and every single one of us right here, right now, in this time um, of our lives in all that we would bring him glory. That is the reason why he has done so. And so before I really get into my message, I think it's good to pray. Praying is always good. So um, dear Lord, I want to pray that you would speak this morning, God. I've prepared notes here, but I want to pray that you would speak to your people. You would give your people, your church, your community, the words that they need to hear where they are right now, Lord. I thank you that you are the one that meets them where they are. You are the one that's taking each and every single one of them on a journey. And so this morning, I want to offer all of the words that will come out of my mouth. I pray that you would speak and that you would use me this morning in your wonderful name. Amen. And so together with this notion of how I believe God has placed each and every single one of us in specific places, in specific times, if we look at the life of Jesus, there were um, a few activities that, that happened quite regularly in his life. There were a few things that if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus um, does these things. The one would be having a meal. We know that Jesus loved eating, and I'm a big fan of eating. I'm on the biggest loser at the moment. I'm not losing a lot, let me just say. But anyway, um, and so like Jesus, I also like to eat. And Jesus had a lot of meals. You would see that Jesus would have meals with his disciples, those that were his followers. He would sit down at the table, he would recline, and he'd have a really good time. Jesus uh, turned water into wine. Some of you may not know that, but he really did, did uh, do that. It's a cool party trick. And um, it wasn't just food coloring, it was the real deal. And so whether Jesus was at a table, whether he was at a wedding, whether he was at a banquet, sometimes with people that he knew, sometimes with people that were very far from him, people that did not know who he was. Sometimes he was sitting at a table and the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day, who were the religious leaders, um, they would mock him and scorn him and say, why, why is it that you are having meals or you're sitting in the company of those that are far from God, those that don't know who he is? And so we see that Jesus is having meals with people. We see that Jesus is, is on journeys. So he'll go from point A to point B. He's on a journey. He's going somewhere to, to to proclaim the news, to show people who he is. And while he's on his journey, he's interjected or he meets people that are on the way. And um, some people are, are in need of Jesus. They're saying, man, my daughter is sick or my son is this, or we really need you to come and, um, and pray for somebody or raise somebody from the dead or whatever it is. And we see that people intersect and Jesus begins to engage with them. He's on his way somewhere, but on the way he meets 
people that are in need. We see Mary and Martha lose their brother Lazarus um, because Jesus was on his way, but he's intersected and his plans to go somewhere and to do something have been stopped and paused so that he can engage with this group of people. We see at times Jesus is teaching. He's in a temple. He's in a synagogue. He's preaching to people. Again, those that are far from him, those that don't know him, some of them, yes, do know him. Sometimes he's having to argue the scriptures. He's arguing with the religious leaders of the day saying, you people talk about me, but you don't realize that I am he that you speak. And they would not accept Jesus' message. And so sometimes he's teaching. Sometimes he's outside. He's on a mountainside. We remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus is teaching outside. Sometimes he's on a boat with his disciples. Sometimes he's on the beach. And so every Everywhere he goes, Jesus is engaging with people. And so if you look through all these stories, I believe there is a common thread that you will find. There is something that seems to happen at every single one of these occasions. And I believe that it's this, is that Jesus is on mission. And absolutely everything that he does in all of these encounters and all of these engagements that he has with people, Jesus is on mission. If you remember, there's a scripture in Luke 19 verse 10 that says, For he, for I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so what happened is that when Adam and Eve were created, sin crept into the world. The devil was quite crafty, that guy. And, um, and Adam and Eve fell. And so what happened was where there once was perfect relationship, where they walked in the garden with Jesus. Adam and Eve walked with Jesus in the garden. That's what um, the book of Genesis tells us. In the cool of the day, they walked together. But after sin came and crept into the world, there was this fracture of relationships. There wasn't this communing together as it was before. Actually, God comes down and he has to ask. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Because Adam and Eve are now ashamed of their nakedness. And so they're hiding from Jesus. Not that Jesus didn't know where they were. And so there was this fracture in relationship. And so through the Old Testament... Through over and over again, God's people are trying to make their way to Jesus. They're trying to sacrifice and do all of these things, but they cannot make their own way back to G, uh, back to God. And eventually, what happens is that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit decide that Jesus needs to go down. Jesus puts up his hand and says, "Actually, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to once again make sure that there is communion and union between God and mankind." And so Jesus comes down, he gives his very life in order that there would be a bridge, in order that there would be a way that we can once again have right relationship with God. And John, it speaks and uh, he says of himself, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so that's what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to go down so that there is this relationship. And so Luke 19 points us to that. He says everything, Jesus' mission was that he would seek and save those that were lost, those that were far from Jesus, those that maybe thought they were living life the right way. And sometimes we can be in those areas. We think we're living life okay, but actually we're so far from God and we don't know it. Jesus has come to seek and save those that were lost. And so my key text this morning, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm sure it'll come up on the screen as well. It's from Acts 17 verse 26. Guys, if I get a little bit, uh, like it sounds like I'm shouting, I'm not shouting, I'm just, I get a little bit passionate and carried away, but when I, so I'm just warning you, I should have actually made that disclaimer before, but it's fine. I know Shane does the same thing, so it's all good. Anyway, um, Acts 17 verse 26, is it up there? Awesome, let me not get in the way. It says this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they, um, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And, and, and the basis of my preach this morning is on these few words. It says, having determined. 
And so again, as I said in the beginning, that God has determined the places where we shall live. God has determined the period in time. So time exists within God. And so within that line of time, God has said so-and-so will be alive at this time. He will receive Jesus at this time. He will move from there. I think of Shane. Shane and Sonia moved house. I went to their house. They weren't there, but I was there. And they didn't allow me in. They gave me the keys. But um, I was at Shane and Sonia's house. And sometimes you can look and say, well, Shane and Sonia decided to move. My belief is that actually God moved them. And we're going to see a little bit later on in this passage why it is that God moves them. And so, and so he has determined the allotted periods and the boundary places where we shall dwell. And so whether, wherever you work, wherever you go to college or varsity or school or wherever it is, God is the one that is designed that you would be at that certain place at that time in your life. The reason why, so we understand that God has, has, has determined the periods and time, and he has determined our boundary lines. But at the same time, I believe the reason that he has done that can be found in Matthew 28, which I'm sure some of you are aware of that scripture. If we can just turn there quickly. Matthew 28, it's called the Great Commission. From verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. And so we understand that Jesus schedules the meeting. This is something that Jesus has done purposely. It's not like those interactions that he had when he was on his way to some, uh, on his way somewhere. Jesus schedules this meeting. He's died. He's resurrected. He's met with a few, with all of the disciples, sorry, and a few others, um, over a period of time. And now it's nearly time for him to go back to be with the Father. And so he calls his disciples, those who he was doing life with, he calls them together and he's about to give them a charge. He's about to give them a command. He's about to tell them what it is that you need to be doing between the time I leave and the time that I'm coming back. Because I am coming back. I'm coming back to fetch my bride, which is this church. Those that have given their lives to Jesus. He says, I'm coming back. But while I am away, there is things that I need you to do. If we look at Ephesians 2 verse 10, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to quickly read it. It says, for we are his workmanship. A very important point. Sometimes I think as believers or those that are saved, we, we give our lives to Jesus, but we still want to control our lives. We still want to have an aspect of our lives. So we allow God into certain aspects of our lives or of our hearts, but there's some places where he's not allowed. But if we look at Ephesians 2, it tells us that we are his workmanship. So that means we're not our own. Our time is not our own. Our, our, everything that we have, I love Shane. Shane says the car is his, but it belongs to the bank. But I trust him to have it. And so all of the things that we have, sorry, I'm using Shane a lot this morning, because um, he's such a cool guy. It says everything that we, it all belongs to Jesus, and so we belong to him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so we begin to understand that, yes, he's determined where we should live and the period of time when we should live, but we're now starting to understand that there's good works that he has prepared, it carries on to say, he has prepared, in adv- uh, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And so before we were even born, conceived, the idea of you and me uh, were on our parents' minds. God knew that we would come. And so God prepared works for us to do in order that we would walk into them. It's no point creating works and nobody walks into them, but he's prepared the works in order that you and I would walk into them. 
And so Acts 17 verse 26 helps us to understand that God, by his providence, by his design, has placed us in a specific time in life, has placed us in a specific location in life in order, whether you work there, whether you play there, whether you go to the gym and your shopping center, and all of these things married together with this Matthew 28 passage, which tells us that there is work for us to do in those allotted times and places. We understand that God has placed us, but at the same time, we are beginning to understand that there is work that we need to do. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me to get on with what God has called me to. When you bring those two scriptures together, when you bring those two thoughts or ideas together, you understand, man, I've got work to do. So what is this work that I need to be doing? I don't know about you. Oh, hello. Oh, I don't know about you, but sometimes um, this idea of making disciples, which is part of what I'm talking about this morning, this idea of making disciples, you think it belongs to the people or to the job of the people that work there. Now, I work in a church, and so sometimes you can say, it's the pastor's job, or it's Shane's job, or it's the deacon's job. It's not my job. Me as a saint, all I do is I come to the church, I worship Jesus, which is really cool, the really cool band, and we have nice coffees and donuts and whatever else that you guys have. We have nice meetings. We have nice bowling days where, you know, we, we play bowls, I guess. And uh, we have all these nice activities. And sometimes as saints, we can believe that. Sometimes as the body, we can believe that's all we do. But the discipleship, the discipling of people is left up to the people. My job is maybe in the working world as a designer or interior decorator or whatever it is that you do. Sometimes there's the division between the two and we think, well, that's for the people that work in the church. But me, I've got other things. I'll come to church on Sunday. I'll come to life group on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, a prayer meeting every now and then. But we think, man, that process of discipleship Discipleship belongs to someone else. I want to say that the calling of my life and the calling of your life might look a little bit different, but I want to say the end goal is the same. That Jesus has called me to make disciples as much as Jesus has called Sonia and Pumi and Callum and all of us to make disciples. There is no distinction between those that should be making disciples and those that shouldn't be making disciples. I love Jesus' little motley crew, and I'm losing my notes somewhere, but it's fine. Um, if you look at Jesus' disciples, they are such misfits. They should never, ever have been together. They are such scallywags, but Jesus brings them together, and he commissions every single one of them. That's what he's done in this passage in Matthew 28. He has commissioned them. They've come from their own things. He's had to go and rescue them because if you remember the story, Jesus dies and they all go back. They all desert him. They all go back to what they knew. Some of them go back fishing, tax collecting, and, and, and. And Jesus has to go and redeem them again. He says, guys, have you not heard? And he brings them back again. And then he gives them this great charge, this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so I'm going to just quickly just go through some of the verses. If we look at Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so he's saying, all of the authority is mine. It's been handed over to me. And so it's with that authority that we go. Because sometimes I think we believe that we go in our own authority, that we need to know the Bible enough, or we need um, to have been saved for long enough. And, and, and there's this, this long list of things that we feel we must have accomplished before God uses us or before we can disciple others. But actually, when you come to understand that it's not by our own wisdom, it's not by that, that I think I can persuade people into the kingdom, but I go in the authority. You and I go in the authority of Jesus. We don't go in our own authority. So everything that we do, so when you're at work, you, you are operating in his authority. When you're speaking with your neighbors and you're inviting them to church, you're not going by your wise words or your wise ways, but you're going as Jesus has asked us to do in his authority. I love the story of Nehemiah. 
He's a character in the Old Testament, and, and I can't tell you the whole story, but in a nutshell, um, Israel, who are God's people, you probably would remember the Prince of Egypt was a movie once upon a time, and um, Jesus brings, or God brings um, Israel out of Egypt. They're in bondage and slavery, and he brings them into the promised land. But when they're in the promised land, they're still needing to take ground because they are the enemies of God that are still living in those places, and they need to take hold of it. And so at times, the, the people of Israel are doing well because they're obeying God. They're living lives consecrated to Him. But at other times, they're very far from God. And so at this point in time, in the story and in their history, they are captured. King Artaxerxes has taken them, uh, has taken them hostage, if I can say that. And they are enslaved to the enemies of God. You think, how is it that God has brought them into this place, but yet they are still enslaved? It is by their sin. But anyway, the story goes on. And uh, there's this man, Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer to the king. And um, the story would have it that he hears news that Jerusalem, the city of God, lies in ruins. Because when they took them, when they captured them, they burnt everything. They burnt their homes. They burnt the walls. It absolutely laid in ruins. And so Nehemiah hears word, and he hears that the city still lies in ruins. And he begins to mourn. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he mourns. And it says this happens for a long time. For many months, he's praying. His heart is gripped. He's saying, Lord, how is it? How can it be that the city of God lies in ruins? Anyway, he goes back to the king a couple of months later, and he's doing his job, as he does. Very dangerous job. You could die because, you know, you're drinking before the king does. But anyway, um, and, um, and so he approaches the king, and the king can see that he's, there's something that's made him really, really sad. And he asks him, he inquires of him, and he says, what is it? What is the problem? And he says to him, well, why should I not be sad when the city of my God, the city of my people, lies in ruins? The very inheritance that God has given us lies in ruins. Why should I not be sad? And so the king says to him, well, what would you like to do? What is the solution to this problem? And so he says, man, I'd like to go back and I'd like to rebuild the walls. I'd like to rebuild the city. Now, if you take a moment here, this is the king, the very king that has captured the nation of Israel and made every single one of them slaves. But he's entertaining the thought or the idea that these people will go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. There is a chance that these people can come against them, that the people of Israel, they would know. They would have known through, through history that God, when God's hand is upon Israel, Israel can do the most incredible things. They've heard the stories of the most incredible victories that have been won by the hand of God. But yet he asked them, what is it that you'd like to do? And he says, this is my proposed idea. But before he does that, he prays. He says, Lord, give me the boldness. And probably other things. I mean, it doesn't really say, but I would imagine. Um, give me creative freedom. So, and, and he prays, and then he answers him. He says, this is what I'd like to do. And the king says, yes. And that is the authority, that even when somebody has got their hand and is oppressing your very nation, because we go in the authority of Jesus, he can do measurably more than we can hope or imagine. And so this king says, okay, I'll grant you, um, I'll, I'll, you can go and start to rebuild the walls. But he says, well, there's a problem because between where I am now and Jerusalem, there are other provinces and other nations that will definitely mean me harm because there is no way that they want Israel to be a strong fortified city once again. And so he says, no problem, I'm going to give you my blue light brigade. And so my blue light brigade will be with you, I'll give you heavy bounces, and there's no one that will touch you on your journey between where you are now and where you're going. Nehemiah must have been like, sweet, I'm winning. He says, there's another problem now, because when I get there, I need to inspect the wall. I need to see what it is that needs to be uh, repaired. And then from there, I need to get material. So I can't go backwards and forwards back. It's going to take too long. I need access to the forest in order to take resources, in order to build. And the king writes him a letter. 
And so incredibly, this man, Nehemiah, gets access from the, uh, gets permission from the king to go back to, to, to Jerusalem to rebuild. He gets his blue light brigade and his bodyguards to go so that nobody brings him harm. And he gets access to a forest because this is the king, Artaxerxes. It all belongs to him anyway. And he gets access um, in order to take materials. That is the power that we go in. That is the authority that God can absolutely blow our minds. Our part is not to make all of this happen. And the thing I love about this is that Nehemiah was positioned. When we speak about the lotted times and the places where we are, Nehemiah was positioned. If he wasn't the cupbearer to the king, he would never have had access to the king. But because of his position, because God had placed him where he was at that time in life, in Israel's history, he was able to have contact with the king, and the king granted him all that he had wished for. I don't know about you, but that brings me reassurance, because at times um, I don't have the courage to go and do the work that God has called me to do. I don't have the courage. But if I read the stories that are in the Bible, I'm encouraged because I see God can take an absolute tool like me and do the most incredible things with him or her. Let's go to verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it's by God's design that we join him in this adventure. This adventure of telling people who Jesus is. This adventure of reconnecting, of revealing who Jesus is to a world that is dying, even if they don't know about it. And Jesus modeled it. He modeled it. I mean, if there's one person that probably didn't need disciples, it would be Jesus. But Jesus, fully man, fully God, said, I'm going to get 12 people alongside me, and I'm going to invest my life. I'm going to pour out absolutely everything. They will reject me. They will hurt me. But it will not stop me from the mission that I'm on, on making disciples of all nations. And I'm going to entrust unto them the kingdom of heaven in order that they would go and do it again and again and again. And so many decades later, you and I get to join in this great story, this great adventure of making disciples of all nations. God has ordained the times and the places where we live, where we work, where we shop, where we go on holidays, the functions that we attend. He has designed the times in order that we would make disciples of those that are around us. That is the commission. That is the work that you and I are involved in. And that is the work. And it does not leave anybody out, no matter who you are. As I've said, the disciples were, they were a mess. But Jesus was going down and saying, man, I will use absolutely anybody to make disciples. One of the things um, I was in corporate for about 11 years, give and take, in the cellular industry. I worked for Nokia, I worked for Vodacom, and a few various others. And for me, my goal was to be the best rep. My goal was to make sales targets. My goal was to make sure that I manage people well. My goal is that my region, KZN, would come out first all the time. And some of those things we worked long and tedious hours to achieve, but we achieved them. But one of the things that really saddens me is that, for me personally, I I feel like I wasted or I squandered 11 years because I was so busy chasing this idea and I was so driven and I was working late hours and I was traveling and, 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 and in order to be the best, be the best, be the best. But I missed the opportunity of making disciples of those that I was around. I saw many different, I probably saw hundreds of clients, Vodacom, in in MTN, in Celsius. I saw clients for days. And I missed the opportunity of making disciples. I was so busy with my work that I forgot the work of Jesus. I forgot the work of the one that has saved my life, that has redeemed my life, and left me to continue doing the thing that he had begun. 
And so the call to make disciples of our communities, in our communities, in our places of work, in our gyms, in our coffee shops, wherever it is that we are engaging with people, I want to say it's got nothing to do with your background. It's got nothing to do with your studies. I haven't been to college. I was trying to, I was trying to work. We've got Figani here who's running for SRC, and I'm trying to understand that world. And they were laughing at me because I thought he was the president, but he's actually not the president yet. But anyway, it's fine. So I don't have an understanding of so many things, but it's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do. I come from a broken family. Mom, mom and dad got divorced when I was three months. I grew up. Statistically, I should be in jail, in prison. Uh, oh, those are the same thing. Um, doing drugs, stealing, I don't know, whatever it is. That's what the stats tell me I should be. But the saving grace of God. But his grace upon my life. And so it does not matter who you are, where you are, what you think you have, or what you think you don't have. It doesn't have anything to do with that because we go in his authority. And so I don't have time to turn there. There's a passage in Luke 19, verse 11 to 14, where there's a nobleman who obviously owns property and he owns things and he's got servants under him. And he calls all his servants together and he says, I'm giving each of you 10 minutes, which was a resource back in the day. And he says, I want you to do business. I want you to conduct business with these minutes that I'm giving you. I want you to get on because I'm going to get for myself a kingdom, but I will return. That's Jesus. That parable, that story that he told is the story of himself. He's going to heaven to get himself a kingdom, but he is returning. And he says, I want to see what you will do with the minutes that I give to each and every one of you. And I want to say this morning that God has given you minutes has given absolutely every single one of us minutes with which he requires us to conduct business until he so returns. And so if you look at the story, unfortunately, I really don't have time to go into it. Um, There are three things that I believe that these servants all have in common. The first thing is that they've got time. They've got time. They know this. The master has gone away today and he's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will hold us to an account for what we have done with what he has given us. And so you and I, ladies and gentlemen, we have time. From the time that we are saved, some get saved later on in life, some get saved. That is by God's design. But when we get saved, we've got time from the time we give our lives to Jesus till the time he comes back to conduct business and do the things that he has called us to do. And sadly, this, this parable, some of it ends well. Some of the servants really do well and they multiply what they have. But, but one of them does really badly and he gets rebuked by Jesus, gets rebuked by him. And so each of us have time. That's the first thing. The second thing is each of us have talents. And so no matter what it is, um, I love it in Jeremiah. You can put that scripture up. Actually, let me read it. Um, Jeremiah 1, verse 5. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I love that scripture because before we were born, before we were even an idea, God knew who we were. And knit into the very deep fabrics of our beings and who we are, God put talents within each and every single one of us. Our talents will vary, but God has put things in every single one of us. And the reason that he has done that is in order that we would use our time and those talents in order to make disciples of those that we do life together with. The third thing is that we each have treasures. God has given every single one of us treasures. Those treasures will change as we get older or as we go on in life. They will be different, varying amounts. Some of you have homes. 
um, that you own or the bank owns, but you can have people around your home. Some of you have vehicles which you can use to give people lifts so that they can come to meetings and they can come to life group, etc., etc. Some of you have jobs and you've got an income, and with that income, you can bless somebody that maybe has less. Shane was just speaking about um, gathering food parcel. Can I encourage you that those that even if you don't have a job but you do have a little bit of pocket money, why don't you give a little bit of money to somebody that does not have? Because God has given each of us time, he's given us talents, and he's given us treasures in order that we would accomplish the work that he's got for us. How good and how amazing is God that he puts us in certain places, that he gives us a job to do in those places, and he gives us the resources that we need in order to accomplish the job that he has called us to. Because this is not our mission, this is God's mission. And so if you're a teacher here this morning, I know the rock guys have heard me say this, and I, I, love, I love these examples. So if you are a teacher here this morning, you're not just a teacher, but you're God's representative in the classroom so that all those kids can know what God is like when he's teaching a lesson. If you are a parent, a stay-at-home parent, you're not just a stay-at-home parent, but you're God's representative to your family so that your neighbors and the world can see what God is like when he is raising a family. If you're a business person, you're not just a business person making deals, cutting, wheeling, and dealing, but you're God's representative to the business community so that the world can look in and see what God is like when he cuts a deal. There's no need for backhandedness. There's no need for bribes and this and that. It is true and it is just. If you are a nurse or a doctor in this room this morning, you're not just a nurse or a doctor, but you're God's representative to the medical field so they can see what God looks like when he brings healing to a hurting world. If you're a lawyer, in this room. You're not just a lawyer, but you're God's representative to the bar, to all of the judges, so they can see what God looks like when he tries a case. No matter what field you are in, no matter what it is that you're doing, all of it is meant in order that we would go and make disciples of those that we are around, whether it be in our communities, in our sports clubs, in our gyms, wherever it is, God has called us and commissioned us to make disciples. If I wrap up, our time is fastly running out. Verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. I love that it doesn't say teach them to read, or teach them to learn, or teach them to memorize, which are all good things, but it says teach them to observe. In other translations, it says teach them to obey. And so for you and I, whether you are being discipled, whether you're discipling others, our desire is that we want to obey the word of God. And that's why I know in this community there's a high respect and a high value for the Word of God because that's what we want to teach. The desire is that we would teach people how to observe and obey the living Word of God. Jesus tells his disciples, everything I've done with you and, and through you and partnered with you for the last three, three and a half years, whatever it is, is in order that you would go and make that known to others. So just as I've discipled you, I want you to gather people around and disciple them. I think this is an amazing group of people. I don't know most of you. Hopefully I can get to know some of you. But the thought in my mind, I don't know how many people are in Harbour City at the moment, maybe 100, 120, 140. I like that. Can we go to the 100 because it's easier for my math. wasn't very good at math. But um, I've given this analogy at Rock before, but I, but I said to the guys, take five people, 
Imagine if every single one of us in this room had five people that we said, for a year, I'm going to invest. I'm going to disciple. I'm going to take them for meals. I'm going to bless them and, and, and. We're going to hang out. We're going to have absolute fun together. And the purpose and the plan of that is, is so that they can come to know who Jesus is. And so if every single one of you, call it a hundred, took just five people and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you spent time and you spent time and you poured out your life like Jesus poured out. It was costly for Jesus to come. It wasn't easy. At one stage, Jesus says to God, he says, if it's possible, please take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but yours be done. So imagine if each of you just took five people and you were just intent on making disciples, discipling, discipling, discipling. And after a year, just one of those people came to Christ. There might be more, but just one of those. That means next year, this time, there should be 200 people sitting in this hall. And then again, you did that process where the 200 just took five people and you discipled and you discipled and you discipled and you discipled and then at the end of the next year there would be 300 people sitting in this hall and I truly believe that that's God's model we see it in scripture that's what he modeled for us he did laugh with those people he called them from being fishermen and being zealots and being tax collectors and 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 he says come and do life with me we're going to eat together we're going to adventure together you're going to see many, many, many miracles. And then I'm going to empower you in order that you would then begin to do the things that I've done and even greater things. That's what the Bible tells us. And so can I encourage you, even as you would go into the rest of this week, possibly as a challenge, if I can put it out, just think of five people that are friends, maybe family, acquaintances, work colleagues, whatever, that you like, okay, Lord, would you help me to disciple? Whatever that looks like. And discipleship, you know, I think we think it means those that are in the community or those that are saved and we're bringing them. If you look, Jesus says, and baptize them in the name of the Father. So they haven't been baptized. So it's a twofold thing. Yes, those that are saved, but also those that are yet to put their trust in Jesus. And with intention, say, God, I, I want one of these five people at least that they would come to know who Jesus is. And I'm going to spend my time, and I'm going to give my resources, and I'm going to give my treasures. I'm going to pour myself out like you did in order that they would come to a knowledge of who you are. Can I pray for us? Musas, can I ask you to come up, please? One of the things that I really love, I remember a story of a woman at the well um, and Jesus was going through to, again, to another town, and he goes through Samaria, which they wouldn't have done back in the day. But when he's there, he encounters, and he's thirsty. His disciples have gone ahead of him to get him some food. But he encounters a lady that's there taking water at a very odd time of day. But we learn from the story that that lady actually is broken. She's absolutely broken. She's had a few husbands. Nobody wants her. She's been thrown away. And actually, she's really, really broken. But Jesus encounters her right there. They're talking about water in the natural sense, but Jesus begins to tell her of the living water, which is himself, and that if we have the living water, we will never thirst again. She's confused. She doesn't know what's going on. Again, Jesus talking parables, but eventually it's made clear to her that this man is speaking about himself, that he is Jesus. He is the Christ that she has read about and heard about. And she goes into her town, and she goes, which is so, she's, got no, she's not an upstanding woman. People would not have wanted. That's why she was drawing water in the middle of the day, because it was generally done either in the morning or in the evening. But she was an outcast, and nobody wanted her around. But she goes into a community and into her town, and she tells people of what Jesus has said. And we see a whole town get saved. His disciples come back. 
and they're like they're confused they're seeing her talking they're like this is not done you, you don't just speak to a Samaritan this that the next thing they're concerned and they say Jesus has some food and Jesus says no I'm not hungry anymore but they're confused they're like but when we left you were hungry we've come and brought you food but now you're full we're like what happened and Jesus says man my, the, my food is to do the will of the Father and I love that Jesus takes absolutely every every opportunity He's thirsty, but that thirstiness turns out to the salvation of one woman, which saves a whole town. And I believe as those stories are in the Bible to encourage you and I, we too can tell those stories for generations and generations of how, just because we took an opportunity, of how Jesus can use us to disciple and bring a change to our communities and whatever spheres we're in. Can we stand up? I just want to say a prayer and then we're going to out with one song and then Shane can wrap up maybe if you're comfortable you can close your eyes if you're comfortable you can raise your hand I I really felt this morning that there maybe are people here that have run the race for for ages for years they know they know the sermons they know the Bible this that the next thing and they've maybe just grown a little bit weary they've grown tired same over and over and over again I believe God wants to re-envision those this this morning. I believe God wants to uh, put an enthusiasm and light a fire once again within your heart. Maybe there's some of you this morning that actually don't know who Jesus is. You've heard me speaking about this adventure and knowing Jesus and becoming disciples. And it's all a bit of a, you know, it might be a bit confusing. But maybe you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. Maybe you need to surrender your will, surrender everything you are to the one that gave his very life for you. And then maybe there are those amongst us that are walking and they think they're fine, it's all good. But maybe you're just longing for more effectiveness in your neighborhood, wherever it is that you are. You're saying, God, I just want to be used. And so if you're comfortable, you can raise your hand as a sign of surrender to say, Jesus, I want more. Lord, we long to be used by you, God. Lord, our desire is that you would use us anywhere and everywhere, God. We, we, we are so busy as people, so busy, so much work, family, this, that. But Lord, I want to pray that you would quieten our hearts, Lord. You would open up our eyes to see the opportunities, to see the harvest field that is right in front of us, God. And I pray right now, Lord, would you anoint us, Lord God? Would your spirit come upon us, Lord? I think of a character like Gideon who was so timid, so shy, the least of the least. But when your spirit came upon him, he won a victory like no other for Israel. And so, my King, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and empower, would empower us, Lord, to make disciples, Lord, would empower us to use every single opportunity that we would look through the eyes of Jesus, that we would use our time, talents, and treasures in order that disciples would be made for you. We understand, we know that you have put us in our specific jobs, in our varsities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods for a reason and a purpose. We understand, God, that there is work for us to do and that work is to make disciples. And my King, I want to pray, Father God, by faith that even this week there will be opportunities for engagements with the Word. There will be opportunities where boldness will come upon people, that they would begin to speak. They won't know where the words come from, but God, I want to thank you that your Spirit would be working in and through them in order that people would come to know who you are, Lord God. And so we thank you, God. It's all for you. It's all through you. And it's all by you. It's nothing of our own ingenious or our own way, but it is all for you, our King. Use us, I pray, in your wonderful name.